And above everything else, Diotrephes wanted to be in charge. He had this all-consuming ambition that led him to refuse to accept apostolic authority, which is equivalent with rejecting God's Word. This is Andrew Smith, pastor of Christ Reformed Community Church here in St. John's County, Florida. I would like to extend to you an invitation to worship with us each Lord's Day at 1015 a.m. Our address is 161 Hampton Point Drive, Suite 2, St. Augustine, Florida, 32092. You can also access archived video versions of these same sermons on our Facebook page. Additionally, our sermons are broadcast live on Facebook every Sunday morning. Now, let's open God's Word and listen to the sermon for today's broadcast. studying 3 John, and so I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me again to 3 John. This is our second installment of our study of this epistle. The title of the message this morning, Diotrephes, Power Trip Leadership. And I'm going to talk about what power trip leadership is, but first I'm going to read our text. I want to ask you to stand to your feet in honor of the reading of God's Word. Just three verses, 3 John, verses 9 through 11. John writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking, knock, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to his holy word. Let us ask him for help as we study this text. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you even for difficult passages and difficult people like Diotrephes, who you often bring into our lives to sanctify us. And yet you also call us to protect the church, to protect truth. You call us to glorify Christ, not one man, not one woman, not anybody, but Christ. We pray that Christ would be at the heart of what we desire to glorify in this church. And we pray that this passage may help us, Lord, to understand what that means in a practical way. We pray this for your glory in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. As we began our study of this epistle last week, we spoke uh, from verses 1 through through 8 about a man named Gaius. Gaius, I believe, uh, was the pastor of this church, and he is the recipient of this personal letter that the Apostle John is writing. Uh, John is uh, residing in Ephesus. He was sort of an apostle over that region of the world. And so he's writing a series of letters to churches in Asia Minor. First John is written to all of the churches in Asia Minor. It would have been a circular letter that would have circulated through all those congregations. All the pastors and elders of those churches would have read those letters before the congregations. Second John was then written to one particular church. Um, of Asia Minor. And then 3 John is written to one person within a particular church, namely Gaius, who, who I believe was the pastor of this church. 
But this morning we want to talk about a man named Diotrephes. He's mentioned in verses 9 through 11, whereas Gaius was famous for his godliness, Diotrephes was infamous because he was ungodly. And he was causing problems in this particular church, probably the church of Pergamum, because church history tells us that John himself actually ordained um, Gaius to uh, be the bishop of Pergamum later on. But we read here in verses 9 through 11 of Diotrephes. Now, I believe that Diotrephes subscribed to what I call power trip leadership. I'll just sort of shorthand that and call it PTL, so I don't have to say it every time during this sermon. But power trip leadership, what I want to call PTL, let me define it for you. It's a disease in one's soul that is caused by sin whereby one seeks preeminence above others at the cost of others and for self-seeking purposes, as verse 9 says of Diotrephes, and likes to put themselves first. Now let me just say as we begin, there is a long line of ungodly men and women who have suffered from this cancerous disease of PTL. In fact, Scripture gives to us an oncology of this spiritual cancer known as power trip leadership. And it began, maybe surprisingly so, it began to spread its ugliness in a shocking place, and that was heaven itself, where Satan attempted to exalt himself over God. We read about this in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 14. But in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 3, 6, which tells us that when we become conceited, we can fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. What is the condemnation incurred by the devil? Well, it was his fall from heaven. It was his fall from power and honor and authority. Why? Because he was overcome with pride. He was conceited about his God-given position. Here's what John MacArthur says, and I quote, As was the case with the devil, pride drives people to seek to exalt themselves. There have always been proud, egotistical, self-promoting people who try to usurp authority, seize a place of preeminence, and elevate themselves over others. Scripture records many such people. They form a sort of hall of shame in contrast to the heroes of the faith listed in Hebrews 11. End quote. And I think MacArthur nails it there. But when Satan fell from heaven, he brought sin with him. And this disease of power trip leadership spread like a wildfire. Beginning in the Garden of Eden, Eve ate the forbidden fruit partly because she believed Satan's lies that it would make her wise unto God. And she not only sought to be equal with God by committing that transgression, but perhaps to be above God, and not only above God, but over her husband, who God had ordained as her head, as her earthly authority. And yet, the one who was supposed to submit convinced the one who was supposed to be the head to eat of the fruit, and Adam ate of it, tumbling mankind headlong into sin and obviously a curse. Adam was blamed for the sin, not only because he knew better, 1 Timothy 2.14 says it wasn't Adam who was deceived, but the woman, but also because he was the federal head of the human race. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says that 
Man is the head of the woman. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. You see, the the fall was an issue of authority. And the fall happened because Adam did not put the woman in her place. He did not put Satan in his place. And Adam also failed at self-governance because he himself was out of place, submitting to the woman, submitting to Satan, instead of submitting to God's authority. He actually was placing himself above God by recreating the created order. 1 Corinthians eleven three: the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. But rebellion against God's authority didn't end with rebellion in the first family. No, PTL or power trip leadership spread to the civic realm as well. We read about this in Genesis 10 and 11. A man by the name of Nimrod, he's described in Genesis 10, 8 as a mighty one on the earth. That's another way of saying to copy John's words. He was a man who liked to put himself first. He was really, when you study it, the first narcissistic tyrant. He is noted in Genesis 10.9 for being a skilled hunter, probably because he was good at hunting animals, but he was also good at hunting people in order to rule over them. And under his tyrannical rule, the Tower of Babel was built. This was a monument physically rising to the heavens and metaphorically a symbol of invading heaven itself to overtake the authority of God. Nimrod was the political ancestor, if you're wondering, of the wicked pagan empires known as Babylon and Assyria, who were always a thorn in the side of the people of God. They always opposed the people of God because they were opposing God and His authority and His word. One commentator says that Nimrod was marked by personal prowess and political power. Nimrod also suffered from power trip leadership. But during the period of the judges, a man by the name of Abimelech, son of Gideon, you're probably familiar with him, he had such a craving for power that he murdered 70 of his own brothers to eliminate potential rivals to the throne. And you remember how that ended for him. God put him to shame by using a woman, of all things, to crush his head with a heavy millstone. Ashamed that he might die from a woman, and the scorn that that might bring, he convinced his armor bearer to finish him off with a sword, and thus he died. Abimelech suffered from PTL as well. Of course, you know of Absalom's wicked lust for his father David's throne. You remember God judged him, allowing his hair to get twisted in branches as he rode on his mule away from battle, and as he's hanging by his beautiful long hair, David's faithful general Joab comes by and finishes him off with a sword, no doubt an extension of God's judgment because Absalom suffered from power trip leadership, egotism. And do we need to even mention those like King Nebuchadnezzar walking on the roof of his palace in Babylon? Remember, he said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty? Daniel 4.30 God was so angry with him that God removed his power. God relegated him to the beasts of the field where he ate grass like cattle. He was drenched with the dew of heaven. He began looking like a beast. His hair grew long and straggly like eagle's feathers, the Bible says, and his nails as long as a bird's claws. Nebuchadnezzar suffered from power trip leadership. And then we go to the New Testament and we think of figures like Herod Agrippa I. 
who, by the way, had a party for himself and gave a speech prompting the people to cry out, oh, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. God was so angry with that that he struck him dead by an angel of the Lord because he allowed that foolishness to go on. He failed to give glory to God. So just rack them up. Nimrod, Abimelech, Absalom, Nebuchadnezzar, Herod Agrippa, these are all examples of political leaders in the civic sphere who were not just rivals to God's people, they were rivals to God Himself. They wanted God's authority. Power trip leadership. But the authority of God being challenged didn't just occur in the home, that is the Garden of Eden, the first family, and in the state with civic leaders. It also occurred throughout the history of the church. The church of the Old Testament, for example, in the wilderness wanderings. You remember Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, who offered strange fire before the Lord in Leviticus chapter 10. This probably amounted to these priests offering incense in an unauthorized manner while being drunk. They subverted God's authority, God's prescribed protocol listed in the Word of God, and offered incense in their own way to do their own thing. And what that resulted in was the judgment of God. Leviticus 10 says, As fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Nadab and Abihu suffered from PTL, power trip leadership. Or consider King Uzziah. We just read about him. He swerved out of his civic Lane as king, attempting to usurp the authority of the priests and the ecclesiastical realm. Second Chronicles twenty six sixteen records when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord as God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And as we read, the priests warned him, all eighty of them, beginning with Azariah, the high priest, and at that moment Uzziah was struck by leprosy. He was demoted, and his son Jotham assumed kingly duties, and on his tombstone it didn't read Uzziah was a king, it said Uzziah was a leper. That was his legacy. King Uzziah suffered from PTL, power trip leadership. What about the scribes and Pharisees? They're the clearest example in the New Testament of those in the ecclesiastical sphere, the sphere of the church, the, the people of God who like to put themselves first like Diotrephes. Matthew 23, verse 5, Jesus says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Luke 20, verse 47, Jesus says, for appearance sake, they offer long prayers. John 5, 44, it says they receive glory from one another. And John 12, 41, they love, or John 12, 43, they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. They suffered from power trip leadership. But it may surprise you to know, or may, maybe it doesn't, that even Christ's own apostles suffered from power trip leadership. We read about this in Matthew 20. We also read about it in the Gospel of Mark, James and John vying for positions, the right and the left of Christ, Jesus rebuking them and essentially telling them, we don't do it the way the Gentiles do it in the kingdom of God. The Gentiles lord it over others and they abuse their authority. As Abraham Kuyper has noted, sphere sovereignty is a thoroughly biblical notion. 
Sphere sovereignty is simply the idea that the home sphere, the church sphere, and the state sphere all have their own spheres of authority with human representatives of God who only have authority because that authority has been delegated to them by God. God has established husbands or men to be the heads of the sphere of the home. God has established church officers, pastors and teachers and elders to be the authority in the church under the headship of Christ. God has established governing authorities in the civic realm to be the the human authority on earth. But all of these authorities in the home, in the church, in the state are under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the home uses the rod for punishment. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. The Bible doesn't say you spare the rod, you spoil the child. The Bible says you spare the rod, you hate the son. So the home has the rod as their punishment mechanism. The church has the keys as their punishment mechanism. Being able to shut the door, throwing people out, locking the door, church discipline. And the state, Romans 13, obviously has the sword for punishment. All three of these spheres, the sphere of the home with the rod, the sphere of the church with the keys, Matthew 18, church discipline, and the government or the state, that sphere with the sword are all institutions established by God. They are all institutions that require authority. They are all institutions that require male authority because that is God's ways. And when the culture subverts the plan of God, and when the culture undermines the plan of God, and subverts what God has ordained, they are on a power trip leadership road. Well, 3 John deals with diatrophies. It deals with a man in the church who was overstepping his authority within the church, as verse 9 says, he liked to put himself first. But the principles that we're going to learn from these three verses apply to any unauthorized authority. It applies to any abusive authority situations. Diotrephes had PTL, power trip leadership, with respect to the church, but there are many who have PTL with respect to the home, with tyrannical, domineering fathers who are abusive to their wives and children, or tyrannical businessmen who abuse their employees, or tyrannical civic leaders, presidents, or congressmen, or mayors, or governors who abuse their authority. So the Bible is very practical. What we learn here about Diotrephes and his negative example can be applied to any area where you see abusive authority, whether in the home and that sphere, the church and that sphere, or the state and that sphere. But as I said, the Apostle John addresses Diotrephes overstepping the bounds of authority within the church. And he begins to address and diagnose Diotrephes with PTL, power trip leadership, at the beginning of verse 9. Notice your Bibles. He says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, has become a problem. John, if you remember, has just gloated over Pastor Gaius, He was a man who embraced and welcomed the traveling preachers that John sent. He was a man of integrity. He obeyed the truth. He lived the truth. He loved others. He loved God. But now in verse 9, John sends a rebuke toward Diotrephes. 
as John Calvin says, a pastor must use his staff um, sometimes to beat the wolves away and at other times to draw the sheep in. This is the Apostle John. He's giving accolades to Gaius for his godliness, but he's sort of smacking Diotrephes and rebuking him because Diotrephes was not welcoming these traveling preachers with hospitality. In other words, folks, he wasn't showing love. He wasn't demonstrating love. Although he was an elder in the church, William Barclay thinks that he was a strong-minded elder. He had a strong influence and personality, but he didn't have love. And so John begins to address Diotrephes' sub-Christian behavior. He says, I have written something to the church. Now that refers, I think, to a different letter other than 1 John or 2 John. Because he says, I have written something to the church John had written another letter that is a lost letter. And whatever was contained in that letter, Diotrephes didn't like, and he probably destroyed the letter. I've been in the ministry long enough to know that people who suffer from PTL, power trip leadership, will exhaust every avenue to get their way, even destroying church evidence. I've I've seen it firsthand. Diotrephes was was not the type of churchman who played fair. Uh, He would turn against a person in any moment in order to hurt his opponents or to help his own agenda. And apparently Diotrephes had a track record. And so in speaking about him, John highlights his central issue. Notice verse 9, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes likes to put himself first. What does that mean? Well, it means he had a desire for preeminence. He had a self-serving spirit. Now, this is the opposite of what John had written about in the lost letter that Diotrephes had destroyed. Uh, This is the opposite of what our Lord required of all true leaders. Remember Jesus said, I I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Jesus says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And we can see that power trip leadership, therefore, is not true leadership. It's not Jesus' way. It's not the way of the, of the apostles. It's not the way of the Word of God. And unfortunately, it can't be said that Diotrephes didn't get the memo. He got the memo, he got the letter, and he destroyed it. Whatever John had written, probably a letter of rebuke to him, to deal with him privately first, out of grace, and Diotrephes threw it away in defiance. Now, in the Greek, that phrase, who likes to put himself first, literally could be translated, loves to be first. It's the Greek word, philip rotuo. It's, it's also in the present tense, which conveys a constant pattern of craving first place above everyone else. Interestingly, it's the same verb that is used in Colossians 1.18 to describe the preeminence of Christ. So apparently, Diotrephes didn't share the Father of heaven and earth's purpose, that in all things Christ should have the preeminence. No, Diotrephes wanted the preeminence himself. And so, in effect, Diotrephes' gross sin was not much different than Nimrod's. This was an attempt to be a a rival with God. This was a, a rival to Christ as head of the church. And sadly, we can all learn from Diotrephes' poor example because we know that Christ expects no rivals in his church. But as I mentioned, the diagnosis of PTL that John gives concerning Diotrephes applies to anyone in leadership. This passage serves as a warning for those who like to put themselves first. 
to, to remind us that such is not the way of the kingdom. Uh, such is not the way of the gospel. Such is not the way of Christian character. And the Lord Jesus Christ will tolerate no rivals to his lordship, whether in the home, in the church, or in the state. It matters not. He is the one Lord above all and over all that all men must submit to. And in some manner, in some way, at the end of time, Philippians 2, will bow and will submit to. But we learn from these verses that PTL, power trip leadership, is not true leadership. And here's how we break it apart. PTL is identified by analyzing the four problems that were ailing the soul of Diotrephes. This man who liked to put himself first. I think this is very helpful. This is a real person. This is not fiction. This is a real person who really existed in a real church in the first century and was a real problem to a real apostle. And he dealt with it. Diotrephes had a problem with authority. He had a problem with animosity. He had a problem with accountability. And he had a problem with all morality. First of all, note with me at the end of verse 9, because we've already looked at the beginning of verse 9, Diotrephes had a problem with authority. And the end of verse 9 really reveals this first problem of Diotrephes and all of those who, who suffer with PTL. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, we've already looked at that, notice the end of verse 9, does not acknowledge our authority. In other words, as I said, he had ignored or dismissed the authoritative instruction of the Apostle John, written in the letter that was destroyed. He refused to acknowledge John's authority. He refused to acknowledge the other apostles' authority. And that was equivalent to disobeying God's word. Because human apostles on earth represent God's authority in heaven. 2 Thessalonians 3, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter... Take note of that person, have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Diotrephes had thrown away the letter. And Titus 3 verses 10 and 11 say, As for a person who stirs up division, a factious man, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. That was what marked Diotrephes. He tore the letter up. And he was beginning to stir controversy, as we are going to see, because he was influencing other people to be disobedient. What you had with Diotrephes was a man who thought he was an exception to human authorities instituted by God. Now that name Diotrephes is interesting. That name was as uncommon as Gaius' name was common. But while Gaius submitted to apostolic authority, he represented what is common for true Christians, while Diotrephes represents what is uncommon. To defy authority, to defy the word of God, that's uncommon for a Christian. Psalm 115, I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. But as Diotrephes rejected the letter, he thus rejected the authority of the apostle John, John thus was defying God's authority. The name Diotrephes means Zeus reared or foster child of Zeus. It's not because he was a pagan. He was a professing Christian, probably from Greek descent of a noble family. But whatever the reason for his sinful entitlement to put himself first, his rejection of John's apostolic authority was rooted in self-glory. He was no different than Adam and Eve. He was subverting the headship of God. He was subverting the headship of Christ 
over the church. And whatever else may have been contained in this lost letter, which I would love to find and read, it certainly included a warning to Diotrephes, a warning about his sinful pattern, his self-serving style of leadership. Perhaps John even quoted Jesus' words from Matthew 20, the last will be first and the first will be last, Diotrephes. But it's important to see that any type of, or any time a a power struggle exists in a church, it's because someone thinks they have the right to be in charge. And perhaps Diotrephes was used to getting his way. Perhaps he was part of the Greek aristocracy, part of Pergamum's Greek aristocracy. And so he was entitled. But this wasn't an issue of social etiquette. This was an issue of sinful temperament. He wanted to be in charge over John, He wanted to be in charge over the associates of John, over the associates of the apostles, because notice again there in verse 9, the plural use. John says he does not acknowledge our authority. So it wasn't just John's authority. It was any apostle that might still be living. Now, I believe John wrote this in AD 85. He died soon after. He was the last living apostle. So I don't know if any apostles were still alive when John wrote this. And so when John says he doesn't acknowledge our authority, it has to include the associates of the apostles. Those like Timothy. Those like Titus. Those like Gaius, who was the pastor teacher of this church. And such a power struggle between John, the apostle, and Diotrephes, this elder, can really only be understood by reconstructing the church order and the changing patterns within the first century church. In the first century, the apostles didn't merely have authority over one church, they had authority over all the churches. They were God's spokesmen. They wrote under inspiration of God. And and I believe probably quite organically, the apostles were sort of scattered around and they had a certain geographical region that they were in charge of. But then you had the elders who were the settled authority of a particular local congregation. And in the early days of the church, You also had the prophets who who traveled abroad. And so you had apostles, you had prophets, you had elders. There was very little tension at the beginning stages of the church because most of the elders that were appointed were baby Christians. I mean, they were full-grown men, but they were baby Christians, and so they depended upon the apostles. They hung on every word of the apostles. They needed to be weaned by the apostles. But as time went on, as the apostolic age drew to a close, a tension between these two types of ministries, the apostolic ministry, which was dying away, and the the ministry of elders in local churches, there, there began to arise a tension where churches inevitably became less and less willing to submit to control from a distance. It was hard enough to submit to an, an apostle from a distance, much less someone else, maybe a prophet who didn't have boots on the ground. So as the apostolic age drew to a close, foreign ideas of church government differing from what the apostles laid down in the scriptures began to make its rounds. And I'll just give you one example. In AD 115, about 30 years after John writes this letter, Bishop Ignatius of Antioch wrote letters to the Asian churches, the same churches that John wrote to, and he argued for a monarchical episcopacy, 
which essentially was a single bishop with authority over a a group of elders. And, And that sort of structure actually stuck. But since John is writing no later than AD 85, this monarchical episcopacy was not fully established. But what was happening happening was tension was developing where church leaders were beginning to ask a very fundamental and practical question, and that is, who exactly is in charge of the church? I mean, I know the Lord Jesus Christ is head of the church, but who has the human authority? And even in our own day, when you have right church government, which I believe the Bible is explicitly clear, a plurality of elders over each congregation, there can still be issues. I remember pastoring in the Southern Baptist Convention, and it was always a battle between the pastor and the deacons. And then the deacons would be sort of the middleman, and they would try to get the congregation on their side to gang up on the pastor. Or if you had a pastor that could manipulate, he'd get the congregation against the deacons. I actually had one deacon tell me this. He said, I was here before you came. I'll be here when you leave. And so there's no reason I need to submit to your pastoral leadership. These are real issues. They were issues that John the Apostle had to deal with. Diotrephes had an issue with John because of his apostolic authority. He had an issue with Gaius, uh, probably because he felt threatened by Gaius's influence. He was a major player in the early church. But what is certain is that Diotrephes' motives were all wrong. If he wanted the church to be autonomous... It was not for the church's benefit, it was for the glory of his own ego. And above everything else, Diotrephes wanted to be in charge. He had this all-consuming ambition that led him to refuse to accept apostolic authority, which is equivalent with rejecting God's word. It was a quest for personal aggrandizement. He got a cheap pie from a power trip at the expense of the congregation he served alongside of with his fellow elder and pastor Gaius. Mark this, this was not a doctrinal issue. You don't read anything about any doctrinal issue in this epistle. This wasn't a doctrinal issue, it was a behavioral issue. It doesn't matter how orthodox Diotrephes was. He was out of line. In fact, MacArthur calls him, and I quote, a self-promoting demagogue. Those are strong words. It was a problem of selfishness. I mean, you couldn't have two polar opposites, Gaius and Diotrephes. Gaius was hospitable to the traveling preachers. Diotrephes wasn't, and he refused to be. Gaius loved the truth and loved others. Diotrephes refused to obey the truth. He loved himself, and he manipulated others. Gaius valued his God-given authority. He didn't take it for granted as a pastor and an elder. But Diotrephes was like Satan. He took his position for granted. And like Cain, jealous of Abel, Diotrephes was jealous of Gaius, his brother in Christ. He was jealous of John, his brother in Christ. And I think we do well to avoid Diotrephes' example. I mean, obviously that goes without saying. But what are some marks that reveal maybe we have a problem with Christ's authority? Wanting to be first, wanting to have preeminence. How can you know when a leader, whether in the home, in the church, or the civic realm, is abusing their authority? Particularly in the church. Number one they'll have an attitude of pride, an attitude of pride. This is the opposite of humble Apostle Paul. Remember what he said. He said, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you, he says, believed as the Lord assigned to each. And Paul says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, 
But God gave the growth, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. That's an attitude of humility that gives glory to God. An attitude of pride that gives glory to self. Don't forget Nebuchadnezzar walking on the roof of his palace. A desire for pride or a demonstration of pride marks a leader who has an ego. Secondly, a desire for a platform. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. See, people who desire a platform do it with the wrong motives to promote their own preeminence, to puff up their own self for self-glory. Paul, Paul didn't use his platform to do anything but glorify Christ. Someone who has a problem with authority, someone who is abusive with authority, they demonstrate pride, they have a desire for a platform, and third, they have a desire for a position. 1 Timothy 3.1 is clear, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, it's a noble task, but Diotrephes didn't have right motives, did he? He's like those that Peter spoke about in 1 Peter 5 who domineer over the flock, right? And what's the end result of a domineering elder? The end result, Peter says, is that they are not examples to the flock. No one wants to follow a demagogue. Their influence is zilch because they have no substance to their character. They're not an example. So no one follows them. And if all of the leaders are like that, the sheep have no one to follow and they go into a pit to their own destruction. So Diotrephes suffered from power trip leadership. And that began with the foundational truth. That's why we're spending so much time on it. The foundational reality that he had a problem with authority. And ultimately the authority of God's word. And ultimately the authority of King Jesus. But Diotrephes had another problem that highlighted his PTL, this soul sickness. Not only a problem with authority, but he also had a problem with animosity. His problems went deep to the core. Notice the beginning of verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. That's what he was doing. The middle of verse 10 there. Talking wicked nonsense against us. This was character assassination both against John and Gaius because because John is writing the letter to Gaius and he says that he's talking, Diotrephes is, talking wicked nonsense against us, against John and Gaius. Why? Because of animosity, because of jealousy. And notice the language. The word wicked is paneros. It's an adjective that describes this animosity. It came from a wicked and hateful heart. And the talking nonsense could literally be translated unjustly accusing. That's what he was doing. 1 Timothy 5.13 translates it as gossips, or if you're using a King James, tattlers. He was tattling or gossiping against John and against Gaius. He, he was seeking to undermine their authority, so he gained the upper hand of authority. I mean, when John says there that he was talking wicked nonsense against us, this tells us that this was a smear campaign. Uh, this became a turf war because Diotrephes saw the church as a political gain. And so he's using carnal methods to talk bad about John and bad about Gaius to gain leverage with the rest of the congregation to have their ear. And of course, most could see what it was, nothing more than nonsense. That's what 
John calls it. The false accusations were nonsense. They had no substance because everyone knew John and Gaius were men of real character. But let me just say this. God takes false charges very seriously. Exodus 20 verse 16 commands us, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And that is fleshed out in the context of the church and leadership in 1 Timothy 5.19 where it says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So for Diotrephes to slander John who calls himself an elder and was an apostle and to slander Gaius who was the pastor and obviously an elder was a transgression of God's law. Such wicked behavior was just that and that's why John calls it wickedness. It has no place in the church, no place in the church, and that's why John is intent on confronting it. Go back to the beginning of verse 10. Well, I just read it, but now let's look at it. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. What was he doing? Talking wicked nonsense against us. John says, if I come, I'm going to bring this up. If I come, mark my words, I'm going to confront it. I believe John had already privately written a letter to Diotrephes. Warning him. He tore it up. So now John says, if I come, I'm going to address this. This is going to be a public reproof from an authoritative apostle that will make Diotrephes' public sin publicly known. 1 Timothy 5.20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. It is a good thing to have the fear of God be struck within your soul. It is a good thing to have negative examples publicly placed before the church so that we avoid their same path. This language, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, is very, very similar to what the Apostle Paul said. If you remember, he had trouble with the Corinthians. I realize that you know that. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, um, some are arrogant as though I were not coming. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of heaven does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? In other words, Paul says, I'm like a father to you, and I might have to bring the rod. I might have to bring people up discipline charges because of misbehavior and ungodliness. The Apostle John was operating that same way. And let me just say that gossip is a legitimate ground for church discipline because gossip is public and gossip damages the body of Christ. Notice again that word wicked in verse 10, talking wicked nonsense. That word wicked is used five times in 1 John to describe the work of the devil. John is saying that Diotrephes' deeds were devilish. Just like they accused Paul and they slandered him, they said his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. His speech is of no account or is contemptible. So John is on the receiving end of false accusations, and therefore he has no choice but to confront this evil animosity because this evil animosity was spreading through the church. It was hurting the church because gossip always puts self above everyone else. The first church that I pastored, I was hired when I was 24 years old and I had a 
a gentleman in the church who was in his early 80s. He was a deacon in the church, and his wife was a problem from the beginning. She was, as the Bible describes, a malicious gossip, which disqualified her husband from being a deacon. And so I went with another deacon to their house to explain that he would no longer be a deacon because his wife had disqualified him and we're sitting right in their living room and she started yelling and wanted to throw things at me, I think. And I saw a Bible on the coffee table and so I went to pick the Bible up to support the action that our church was getting ready to do and she slammed her foot down and says, don't pick that book up and don't read that to me. Defying God's authority. As a deacon's wife? You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, this is real stuff. And John dealt with that. One of the problems with those who suffer from PTL or power trip leadership is just this. They possess a deep-seated animosity toward others. They look on everyone with a jaundice eye. They despise others. They feel entitled. They always operate from a negative force, come hell or high water, to get their own way, achieve their own ends, accomplish their own personal goals, walking over, talking down to all who stand in their way. They're like the proverbial bull in a china shop, and they destroy the church. Because that deep-seated animosity will come out in the form of gossip and false accusations damaging the church and such deep-seated animosity may be directed at others as it was against John and Gaius, but it hits the target or the apple of God's eye. Think of the vengeance that God took out against Absalom for rebelling against his father because he craved that lust for power. We spoke about that. Or think of God's judgment of Nadab and Abihu who thought they were above God's rule. And they could offer incense any way they wanted to, ignoring the biblical prescriptions. Or think of King Uzziah. His legacy was leprosy. It wasn't that he was a great king. Why? Because he overstepped his bounds of authority. He, he, he ran roughshod over the priests and acted like the tabernacle was his because he was king. And all abuse of authority is abusive because it seeks to serve self. Put self on, ta- on top, not serve others. Think of God's curse on the man and the woman for subverting God's created order. God said, your desire, Eve, shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. There's a lot of misinterpretations of that verse. Let me tell you the true interpretation. When it says your desire shall be for your husband, it's not a sexual desire and that is not a desire to submit. It's a desire to rule over the husband. And when God says, he shall rule over you, that is not negating the ordaining of biblical headship. It's saying that he's going to try to rule over you in a way that stomps on you. That's power trip leadership. Diotrephes had a problem with it. He was struck with this soul sickness. He had a problem with authority. He had a problem with animosity. Notice with me number three, he had a problem with accountability. Notice the end of verse 10. And not content with that, that is not content with just malicious gossip, wicked nonsense, he refuses to welcome the brothers. Now this refers to the traveling preachers that John had sent, that Gaius had received. He refused to welcome them, and he also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So in verses 5 through 8, remember remember that Gaius is commended for welcoming these traveling preachers. He was a, a fellow supporter of the truth of God. He was a fellow worker of the kingdom of God. 
But Diotrephes, verse 10 says, refused to welcome the brothers. Why? Probably because he saw their preaching and leadership. Maybe their gifts were superior. He saw that as a threat to his influence. So he made this into a personal issue. But it wasn't a personal issue. God gifts people differently. This was a biblical issue. And at the heart of Diotrephes' problem was a problem of not wanting to be held accountable to God's mission. And what God's word said about man's role in that mission. Diotrephes had his own agenda. He lived for glory and acclaim and position and power. His own personal mission and agenda. Not God's mission. Not God's glory. That's why he rejected the brothers. He wasn't interested in the fact that they were serving Christ and the kingdom of God. He had his own agenda. He had his own kingdom. He he was like a rogue elder that wasn't a team player. Refusing to be held accountable for his conduct. And it wasn't just wicked words as we see in verse 10. It was wicked deeds. He refused to help the brothers. And he rejected them. One commentator says, By refusing to receive the brothers sent to proclaim the gospel and by denying them shelter and food, he was hindering the progress of the word of God. In brief, he was thwarting God's plans and purposes. Directly defying apostolic authority, directly defying all the accountability structures that God builds in for the fulfillment of the work of his kingdom with different offices, apostles and prophets and elders and all of that. He wanted to do his own thing. He didn't want to be held accountable. And the reason that John viewed this as a matter of church discipline was number one, because he was so defiant, Diotrephes was, and not repentant. And secondly, and this is where you need to pay attention, he was actually influencing others through his position as an elder to disobey the authority of John. Notice the end of verse 10. And he also stops those, that is others in the congregation, who want to, that is who want to obey, and puts them out of the church. But what a power trip. He prevented others from showing hospitality that they wanted to show. Romans twelve thirteen contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. But he actually influenced them not to do that. He put them out of the church. This means he single-handedly, through intimidation, from his position of power as an elder, excommunicated members from the church for doing right and wanting to do right, not for doing wrong. Why? Because what was right in his eyes was wrong in God's eyes. And what was wrong in his eyes was right in God's eyes. In other words, he was a rogue elder operating according to his own little set of rules and imposing those rules on the entire church, ignoring God's law, ignoring God's word. So very sad. Diotrephes was a man on a power trip. No leash could hold him back. So John says, when I come to the church, verse 10, I'm going to take that leash off and I'm going to set the dog free. Because that's what he is. He's a dog. He's got everything backwards. He spells God backwards. He's a dog. What kind of backward leadership in the name of Christ excommunicates people for doing right? What wickedness. What was his issue? He didn't want accountability. That was his issue. One commentator says this is antisocial behavior. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. This is not antisocial behavior. This is anti-God behavior. He dismissed the apostle John 
and the letter he had sent. He slandered John and Gaius. He cold-shouldered the brother preachers. He excommunicated loyal, obedient congregants. This isn't antisocial. This is anti-God. And pride makes one blind to their own faults. And such a one shouldn't be a leader, lest the blind lead the blind, and they both fall into a pit, to quote the words of Jesus. As one commentator says, and I quote, because he loved himself and wanted to have the preeminence, he acted the way that he did. And I want you to know, beloved, pride and personal vanity still spawns power trips today, whether in the home or the church or the civic realm. We're seeing it now in the civic realm like nothing in my lifetime. But you also see it in the church. You see the political games that are being played. You see men vying for a platform, vying for influence. How about just concentrating on the people that God has placed in front of you? What about your congregation? What about your family? What about others in the community? That's serving to the glory of God. Don't ever get caught up in the sickness of ambition for self-glory. It's not worth it. That leads to temptation and the snare of the devil. True leadership leads. True leadership loves. Leading and loving go hand in hand. It doesn't encourage people to do wrong. It encourages people to do good by teaching the truth to them and then modeling that by an example before them. Every leader's life verse should be John 3.30. He must increase and I must decrease. But professing to be a Christian leader, Diotrephes denied it by his words and actions. He usurped Christ's lordship of the church. Listen to this. To feed his own ambition. And that's why John comes down so strong. Diotrephes was a sick man. His soul was sick with PTL. Power trip leadership. He had a problem with authority. He had a problem with animosity. He had a problem with accountability. And we'll look at this one quick. Number four. He had a problem with amorality. We'll just touch on this because what John says here in verse 11 can be applied to Diotrephes, but it can also be applied to Demetrius, who we'll speak about next week, Lord willing. But notice the principle, verse 11, beloved, and that refers to Gaius, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. This is the principle dealing with all morality. All morality is a a lack of respect for true morality, what is right and what is wrong. It's often used to describe a slimy businessman. It's someone who doesn't have integrity. And when applied to diatrophies, the charge of Scripture is frightening. Notice it again. Beloved, do not imitate evil. Think about what diatrophies did and what he modeled before the church. But imitate good. Whoever does good, think Gaius and his life, an example, is from God. Whoever does evil, think Diotrephes and his example, has not seen God. Wow. Are you telling me that one who obeys God as a life pattern, who recognizes right and wrong and lives it out, proves to be a child of God, and anyone marked by all morality, anyone who lacks integrity and doesn't really distinguish right from wrong and confuses those things, is not a true child of God? Yeah, that's exactly what John says. And the only reason I would believe it is because he writes under inspiration. This isn't my judgment, it's John's judgment writing under inspiration. What did he say in 1 John 3.10? 
By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Wasn't that the central problem with Diotrephes? He didn't love his brothers. Didn't love Brother John. Didn't love Brother Gaius. He didn't love those under his charge. And what does Jesus say to Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 1 John 1.3 tells us when a Christian truly sees God, he has fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ. But John is implying that no fellowship exists, and that's what explains the abuse of authority. His behavior was intolerable. One commentator, I think, absolutely nails the issues. His name is David Jackman. You've probably not heard of him, but these are the best comments I read on Third John. He says this, and I quote, Diotrephes has had his followers throughout the history of the church, and the species is by no means extinct today. Too many congregations have been held in the grip of petty tyrants for us to regard this sad phenomenon as extraordinary. But the picture John draws of this domineering man is horrific. Destroying unity, flaunting authority, making up his own rules to safeguard his position, spreading lies about those whom he had designated as enemies, cutting off other Christians on suspicion of guilt by association, the catalog is appalling. This is what happens, says Jackman, when someone who loves to be first decides to use the church to satisfy his inner longing for a position of preeminence, for his own personal aggrandizement. We do not know whether or not Diotrephes had any official position or whether he simply used the force of his personality to swing things his way. Either was possible and still is. There are churches today which are in the pocket of one person, one family, one dynasty. Nothing can happen without the approval of Mr. X because it's his church. Consequently, in effect, there can be no biblical plurality of eldership, no fresh or innovative ideas, no forward movement or spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit has long ago been drummed out of office in a church like that where Diotrephes rules. What a travesty of the Christian faith and family. There's only one who can have preeminence in the church, and that is its head, the Lord Jesus Christ. The true Christian leader is one whose life reflects John the Baptist's desire concerning his relationship with Jesus. He must become greater, I must become less, John 3.30. Diotrephes clearly knew nothing of that, or of what it meant to be crucified with Christ, so his life was a fraud. Professing to be a Christian leader, he denied it by his words and actions. He usurped Christ's lordship of the church to feed his own ambition. The sentence Jesus himself pronounced on those who loved to have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor, who devoured widows' houses and whose lengthy prayers were pious show, remains as a warning to the Diotrephes' potentiality within all of us. Such men will be punished most severely. Whenever we start to serve ourselves rather than Christ or to use our fellow Christians for our own ego trip or to become concerned about our status within the church, we need to recognize the Diotrephes syndrome and take whatever strong action is needed to eliminate it. To behave as he did is neither faithful to the truth nor faithful to one's fellow Christians. End quote. You see, power trip leadership is not from God It's from the devil. It's not from heaven. It's from hell. It's not commended in Scripture. It's condemned. So pick good role models. Pick good leaders to follow and to be under. Avoid bad ones. Because when you do, the church will be stronger 
Your life will be more blessed and God will be most glorified. Who are you more like? Godly Gaius? Ungodly Diotrephes? Well, there's a third man. His name is Demetrius. And we'll talk about him next week. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the sharp edges of your word. We need at times to be cut by your truth. Lord, because that humbles us. It is painful, but it is pain that we need to be reminded of who our God is and who is an authority over us. Lord, we pray that you might help us in whatever positions of leadership or influence we may have. Lord, to be gentle leaders, leaders who live by example, whether that's men in the home, men in the church, whether that's our civic leaders, we we pray for their salvation. We pray that you would give us the ability and the opportunity to elect true godly representatives that will serve in government. Because we know that there is one Lord and one King, that is Jesus Christ. There is one law, there is one way. And our duty is to submit to Christ, it's to obey Him, it's to make much of Christ and to make very, very little of ourselves. Lord, we pray that we would make little of ourselves. Help us in those weak areas. Maybe we have to submit to a boss who is a tyrant. Or maybe a Christian woman is here whose husband is too domineering in a sinful, unbiblical way. Or maybe there are children here whose parents are too harsh with them. Lord, give us all the grace to continue to be faithful to you, knowing that you see all things. You will reward us for being faithful, for serving you, and for making much of Christ. Help us to do that for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope this sermon from God's Word has ministered to your soul. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, www.christreformedcc.com. Also, for access to more sermons, articles, and a podcast I host entitled Today in Church, His Story, you can visit www.pastorandrewsmith.com.